such a, a pleasure, as I was saying, such a pleasure to sit with all of you tonight. And, and I feel so fortunate to be able to remember, remember, you know, what I'm doing here, remembering um, what this is about. I, you know, it's a, something I've been doing now, as most of you know, every, every Tuesday that I'm in town for over 30 years now. And it's a routine, it's a routine I love, and sometimes I forget that the, the whole point of this is not just to be with you and support a Sangha community on Tuesday nights, but it's, it's all about the Buddha's uh, idea not just idea, but the potential in each of us to experience what he called the sure heart's release. And the sure heart's release is the, the, uh, a real radical shift in understanding and the way of living uh, with ourselves and with each other. A, a sense of freedom, a sense of of all of the potential human qualities able to, to flourish and to, to make for ourselves and for each other a better world, a world that is um, not just the, the endless uh, stream of greed, hatred, and delusion, but a world that's actually filled with, with love, loving kindness and care and compassion. And this is why we, we, instead of going to the mall, or instead of going, instead of just checking out, we go to the Buddha for refuge, not the historical Buddha as much, other than to remind us that we have this incredible human potential. But we go to the Buddha, which means this, this wakefulness that lives in us, that lives as us. The divine is in you as you, as the, the presentness that you are here. And this is the Buddha. The Buddha is, means awake. And before, beyond your being a man or a woman or whatever you are, you're awake. You are primordially aware. And we go to the Dharma for refuge, to the, to the truth, to what we're actually experiencing, coming out of the stream of our ideas of reality and actually feeling it. This is the Dharma, the truth. And then as we waken to the truth, we actually see how things work. We see what is in our life. Moment to moment, we can see what is actually skillful action, skillful speech, skillful thoughts, skillful um, actions. What leads to happiness? what actually makes us miserable. We learn to hover, to actually feel the truth instead of immediately dump any kind of discomfort on the world around us in complaint or judgment or, or you know, prosecution. Instead, we hover, we, we study ourselves, we see, God, I got triggered just now. What is that like? We reflect on, you know, where, where's the attachment here? Where's the clinging? Where's, what am I defending? We, we live with it. We, we open to it. This is the Dharma, the truth. What's going on here? We don't, we don't just 
go to our Bible and adopt views. We study it moment to moment. The Dharma is alive. And we go to the Sangha. We go to the, the support that we, um, we receive from that kind of mirroring or others who also are interested in being awake and in a, in a better world that, not just a better world that we impose on, a better world that starts within each person. You know, that shares that value that no one can, no one is going to make the world a better place for you. That it actually starts within each of us. So I remember that when I'm, when I'm sitting, and then I was reflecting. You can tell I did a lot of thinking during the sitting today. <laughs> but I was reflecting that there are, there are people in our community, in our Sangha, and I have the great good fortune of meeting with many of them who are really going for it. They're not just staying in their spiritual comfort zone or their material comfort zone, in the comfort zone of the past or the comfort zone of roles, and, but they're actually, they're actually willing to die for practice, to wake up. Willing to just, willing to, as I remember my, one of my teachers in Burma said practices as um, without regard for body or life as though your hair's on fire. And uh, actually, before I came in this evening, I was stumbling through one of my favorite teacher's books, a teacher named Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj, and he said, when there is total surrender, complete relinquishment of all concern with one's past, present, and future, with one's physical, spiritual security and standing, a new life dawns, full of love and beauty. Complete self-surrender by itself is liberation. It's really easy to, um, I was trying, it's really easy to stay in our comfort zone. And the practice access asks us to let ourselves be a little uncomfortable to be in that state, it's actually true that we don't know what's, we don't know what's next. Uh, and there is inherent in our existence, uncertainty, you know, just, um, that's how it is. We don't know whether we will be praised or blamed, whether we will have gain or loss, pleasure or pain, fame or shame, we don't know. And it's likely that all those winds will blow through our lives. And it's completely uncertain when they will. So we have to, we can't just hide away in fear and dullness and cling to our, our little spiritual comfort zones. The little one-pointedness, it's great. Or a little, you know, our, our gated housing or our, whatever it is. We, we have to live with a kind of abandon. And there are, we have this possibility every moment to just kind of dive in, dive into life. This is why that poem that I so often share, it's just so inspiring to me from Rumi where he says, uh, inside this new love, die. I love that. He says, your way begins on the other side. Slide out the side and die. You're covered with a thick cloud. Slide out the side and die. 
and be quiet. Quietness is the surest sign that you've died. So we're so busy making plans and doing and protecting our self-images and our roles and all that that it's really easy to, to lose that both capacity or that, that interest and the, and the amazing experience of dying moment to moment. Complete, that's why in the, when I started to practice this evening, I said, just die to the, the past is gone. I was speaking to somebody the other day who has, who has enormous competency, enormous success, and does certain things incredibly well. But there's a, there's a whole dimension of this person's life that is, that's less developed. And I very gingerly encouraged that person to, to test the waters. I said, you know, it's really not about you. It's about conditions. If you, if you create conditions, and this area that's undeveloped is a source of a lot of, a lot of distress in the person's life. And, it's, and, off, and because this area is somewhat undeveloped, there's, there it tends to create a, uh, a whole effect on the energetic system. And there's, it, you know, it's easy, the, our mind and body tends to start inclining toward, toward dysthymia, you know, kind of depression. And, you know, and it's, but, and this is all easily, it's easy to say, oh, this is me, this is who I am, but these are conditions. And if you change the conditions, the, 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 um, the sense of well-being and the uh, whole dimension of, of happiness can ensue. But I, I could tell that as I was suggesting, and the person was very honest in saying, you know, that really triggers my... My, I don't want to. I don't want to change. I don't. You know. I don't want to enter into a place where I, I don't. I'm not competent. Where I'm not as good. And, and I basically said it's not about you. It's not about preserving. Your, um, your comfort zone. It's about freedom, and freedom is about conditions. The conditions that cause suffering, you have more suffering. Conditions that lead away from suffering, you have less suffering. It's not so personal. But our identity view makes everything into this cherished me that I have to protect and defend and build up and even enlighten. Uh, and really, Enlightenment is simply clearing away this, these uh, illusory ideas of ourselves that we are bound. The only thing we're bound up in is the idea that I am not free. I'm not free to be, free to, free to expand. So it's, I, I was thinking today about, um, and I had a wonderful conversation with someone who's, who has, who's somebody from our sangha who doesn't come here very often, who is really going for it in her, her life. And she's just gone off and spent 
you know, six months on retreat, doing this and doing that. And, and the form, it doesn't really matter so much. But the person was willing to just give up what their comfort zone was. And went through, has gone through a lot of hardship in that process. And one inevitably does go through some hardship. But that hardship, learning how to, to find balance in the midst of difficulties, to be to not have our well-being so dependent on comfort. Most of us would rather be comfortable than free. And the teachings say this is a mistaken, this is a, a case of mistaken intention. Your true guru should be the goal to awaken. Aim for that. Go search out that. Because that's, the, that's fulfilling the desire that no comfort can fulfill. No other desire can fulfill that. It means you have to learn to sit in the middle of things. Learn that the, the joy of, of equanimity, the peace of equanimity, of saying, yeah, this is how it is. It's hard. But I can. I don't have to. I don't have to leave my cushion, or you know, figuratively. I don't have to leave this sense of aware presence to be able to be happy here, to be well. So when I, as I often do at the end of the sitting, I open up folders and see if something comes out to me to read. I, I love this old 14th-century anonymous samurai's poem because you can tell this samurai has really gone for it. I have no parents. I make the heaven and earth my parents. I have no home. I make awareness my home. I have no life or death. I make the tides of breathing my life and death. I have no divine power. I make honesty my divine power. I have no means, I make understanding my means. I have no secrets, I make character my magic secret. I have no body, I make endurance my body. I have no eyes, I make flash of lightning my eyes. I have no ears, I make sensibility my ears. I have no limbs, I make promptness my limbs. I have no strategy, I make unshadowed by thought my strategy. I make seizing opportunity by the forelock my design. I have no miracles. I make right action my miracles. I have no principles. I make adaptability to all circumstances my principles. I have no tactics. I make emptiness and fullness my tactics. I have no talents. I make ready wit my talent. I'm, I have no friends. I make my mind my friend. I have no enemy. I make carelessness my enemy. I have no armor. I make benevolence and righteousness my armor. I have no castle. I make immovable mind my castle. I have no sword. I make absence of myself my sword. That inspires me. I don't know about you. It's just 
clinging to nothing. It's so different than most of our preoccupations. Do you wake up in the morning and say, what am, where is the clinging in my mind, in my life? What am I defending? What am I attached to? From the Majjhamaka Nikaya, from the middle length sutras of the Buddha, let not a person revive the past or on the future build his or her hopes. For the past has been left behind and the future has not yet been reached. Instead, with insight, let him see each presently arisen state. Let him know that and be sure of it invincibly, unshakably. Today's effort must be made. Tomorrow death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently, relentless by day, by night, it is he or she, the peaceful sage has said, who has one fortunate attachment. So speaking of the the death, the inevitability of death, this is how um, This is, hopefully it will inspire you to cling to nothing. It's from Jeff Foster. You will lose everything. <laughs> your money, your power, your fame, your success, perhaps even your memories. Your looks will go, loved ones will die. Your body will fall apart. Everything that seems permanent is impermanent and will be smashed. Everything will gradually or not so gradually strip away everything that can it can strip away. Waking up means facing this reality with open eyes and no longer turning away. But right now, it's not just bleak, but right now we stand on sacred and holy ground for that which will be lost has not yet been lost. And realizing this is the key to unspeakable joy. Whoever or whatever in your life Whatever is in your life right now has not yet been taken away from you. This may sound trivial, obvious, like nothing, but really it is the key to everything. And why and how and wherefore of existence. Impermanence has already rendered everything and everyone around you so deeply holy and significant and worthy of your heartbreaking gratitude. Loss has already transfigured your life into an affair. Can we stop enough, die enough to appreciate that? How easy it is to miss, as Hakuin says, how sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar. This body is the Buddha. This, this place right here, the, the pure land. So easy to miss. This is why going for it means you, you die here. You stop, you stop running from silence. Your old life was an endless running from silence, that, that room you pulled. 
from Hafez. Light will someday split you open, even if your life is now a cage. For a divine seed, the crown of destiny is hidden and sown on an ancient, fertile plain you hold the title to. Love will surely bust you wide open into an unfettered, blooming new galaxy, even if your mind is now a spoiled mule. A life-giving radiance will come. A friend's gratuity will come. Oh, look again within yourself. For I know you were once the elegant host to all the marvels of creation. From a sacred crevice in your body, a bow rises each night and shoots your soul into the divine. Behold the dark, drunk, singing one from the, from the lunar vantage point of love. He's conducting the affairs of the whole universe while throwing wild parties in a treehouse on a limb in your heart. So for that crack, you have to be willing to stop long enough to let yourself be cracked. And sometimes that crack is comes from being able to bear the unbearable, to feel distress, pain, resistance, longing. You know, all those things we just kind of run. I was thinking of my own, I, I never know what stories I tell because I'm moving to different venues, but I was recently talking about my um, uh, practice time that I had in in Burma. Again, when I talk about this, I I certainly would would uh, encourage everyone to do intensive practice. You know, we, people have been stepping out of the the day-to-day -day routines for from the beginning of time, and there's something that is that is cutting. There's something that that kind of breaks the the uh, you know the stream of habit in going on retreat, but this is much more about following uh, the yearning, the longing to wake up. The form that it takes is not uh, it's not dependent on going into a monastery or going to a meditation center. But for me, that yearning, that longing, expressed itself as the urge to study the the heart and mind to do intensive meditation practice. And I, Spent, you know, cumulatively more than three or four years in silence doing, you know, of course it was during a time where I wasn't a householder, a family, didn't have, wasn't a husband, a father, etc., etc. But during that time, you know, I was quite on fire with the, with the, with the practice. And it took me to, to Burma. Which is now Myanmar, uh, and it was a hell realm for me. It was absolutely <laughs> challenging beyond challenging. Uh, nausea for six weeks, uh, incessant pounding from from morning till night, construction all around, clothes pounded on the on the rocks behind the room that I was staying. 
Madonna music blasting all day. Loudspeakers. So romantic ideas of practicing in a monastery permit. The teacher that I was working with told me, you know, in, in my nausea that I couldn't, um, that I couldn't take solid food. You know, I was, you have a basically a preceptor and a, a, you honor their, with respect by following their, their rules of the monastery and the rule is no solid food after the meals. Or in this case, it was 10.30 in the morning, but typically it's about 12 noon. And uh, I had such intense reaction to this rule that, you know, that told me a little bit of something about my attachment to, to, um, to the way I want things to be. And I, I uh, often think of that poem from Rumi where he says, failure is the, is the key to the divinity within. Your prayer should be break the legs of what I want to happen, humiliate my desire. That's exactly what happened. And he, my desire was humiliated. And in fact, I, I got so angry, and that, that was transparent in itself, that I normally, when you would ask the, the Sayadaw, the teacher, for um, something, and in this case it was to even eat a few bananas in the afternoon to settle my stomach, and he said no. Instead of doing the, the proper respectful bowing, you three times you do a little prostration, I just looked at him, gave him a dirty look, and ran out of the room. <laughs> you know, and of course, I had time being on retreat to, to sit with the intensity of my reaction, and I, I wisely went back and apologized. And, um, and then it, he, he just so much appreciated the, my contrition that he then proceeded to speak to me for an hour about the life that he endured as a young novice monk in Sri Lanka, where he described how the winds were blowing through his body. You know, he had terrible gas and all kinds of digestive problems, and, and his teacher taught him how, the, how being able to sustain your attention in times like that and stay with it um, really gave him, helped him uh, get stronger and develop a, a, a great heart of equanimity. And uh, it began a process of having a you know, very you know, warm connection with this teacher. But that was just a, the tip of the iceberg of the things that, that, um, that anyone who goes on retreat in countries like that and situations like that. Just for three years of my practice, I had internal aching where almost every time I sat, I don't know how many of you ever feel that sense of just an internal squeeze or ache, and it just to the point where it was very hard to even sit. But uh, I had that yearning, and I just kept sitting with it, sitting with it, sitting with it. Of course, it, in, it happened in Burma that there was a moment after sitting with that, literally for three years, where I saw this little thought pass my mind, oh, or a little feeling go across my mind, oh, you're looking for a pleasant experience. I don't think I would have really gotten the full impact of the 
of the, the, um, the pressure that the wanting mind, the, the burden that the wanting mind puts on our lives. Unless I saw the effect, the cause and effect of that, that simple impulse to want to have a pleasant experience. The moment I noticed that, the whole achiness vanished. Literally three years of that ended. That's why I think I, I talk a lot about the not getting too caught up in the in associating your happiness with just the repetition of sense pleasures. They're wonderful. They gladden our hearts and you know bring a lot of happiness to our lives, but they do not. They are not the medicine that, that frees our heart, frees our bodies. For that, you don't need anything. As if you need, think you need something to make you happy, that means that in its absence, you have to be miserable. And that's the confusion that we tend to fall into. So I'm getting a little off track here, but um, I guess the, my last word, since it's 9 o'clock, is, um, is go for it. <laughs> and I'd just like to end with the words of the, of the a nun named Tajitsu, who, who I could tell really went for it, because her, her mindfulness became so precise and so continuous that she literally saw through the the whole illusion of existence. And she put it like this, or described it like this. Standing on the small porch of Hakujan, she saw the shadow of a little wren cross the footpath, followed by the shadow of a hungry crow. And she saw that the little wren arose, abided, and fell away. And then she saw that arising arose, abided, and fell away. And that abiding arose, abided, and fell away. And that falling away arose, abided, and fell away. She saw that knowing this arose, abided, and fell away. Then she knew there was nothing more than this, no ground, nothing to lean on, stronger than the cane that she held, nothing to lean upon at all and no one leaning. And she opened the clenched fist in her mind and let go and fell into the midst of everything. So let's just rest in the midst of everything. future, no present, no time, things just as they are. May all beings notice, know the freedom of heart and mind. May all beings 
Now the sure heart's release. May all beings be free. May all beings be happy. May our practice tonight and every day be dedicated to the welfare and awakening of all beings. Thank you for listening to my wandering mind. <laughs> Appreciate you being here and supporting me, supporting each other. Thank you for your generosity on all levels. And hope to see you next week. Take care.